so this morning, we're going into our second week of our sermon series called um, Good Things Small Packages. It's a sermon series named after me. Um, yeah, thank you. I don't know who did that, but clearly, thank you for making me feel better about myself. Everyone else just laughed. Um, but it's, you know, it's, it's, we're going through a sermon series, and we, what really the goal was, James talked a little bit about it last week, the goal was to say, hey, you know what, this is not that scary to read. And sometimes we say, let's look at just the shortest books in the Bible, and let's go through them together, and, and hopefully inspire you to open the Word of God, and to know that there is truth there that you can get, and grasp, and understand, and, and um, that you don't always need us to be bringing it to you, that you can understand it yourselves. Uh, that's not an excuse not to come to church, that's not what I mean, but that there is richness in here, in your day-to-day life. And so that's our sermon series. So today we're going into Third John. Pastor James talked about Second John last week, and today we're gonna talk about Third John. Let me set a bit of this up and the characters that are in it. Um, the gentleman who's writing the book is John. Right, we believe that this is the word of God, it's inspired by God, but he used men, men to write the books. These were letters that were written to certain people or groups of people, so this is John writing this book, um, and he is writing to his friend, Gaius. He's writing to this friendship that he has. What I love about John, and you'll see this in this passage of scripture, and you see it through most of his writings, is that John understood deep, intimate relationships. You know, our faith is actually built on depth and not surface. And somehow I actually think that religion and the church has kind of made it into this like surface thing. This thing that we live a certain way and check all the boxes and it doesn't really matter what kind of depth is there. But that's not actually what God intended, right? Right from the beginning, God said, I want to be in relationship with you, intimacy with you, closeness with you. And I believe that out of all of scripture, John is one of these characters, King David was another, you know, but John really understood that there was supposed to be a depth of intimacy between us and God and us as each other as believers in in, in relationship. There needs to be a depth there. Where do we see that? We see that John, when John was actually talking about his relationship with Jesus because he was one of the disciples, what does he say about himself? He says that I am the one that what? That Jesus loves. He says, I am, the, I am the loved one. Not I'm a disciple, not I'm a follower, I'm the best. He actually just proclaims that my identity is, I am the one that is loved by God. What a great statement, hey? Can you imagine if that was actually our statement of the defining piece of our life? Is that everything else comes secondary to I am the one that is loved by God. What a change in perspective if we could have that outlook. And we see that John actually goes into how he writes his letters. We saw that in 2 John, you'll see that in 3 John, that he writes this letter from wanting deep relationship, from understanding deep relationship, and not covering over the difficult conversations. James talked about last week how John defined in 2 John, Side note, isn't it cool that although John did not know, he was writing letters inspired by God, writing letters to people, he didn't know the order that the Bible would be put in together. 
But in God's sovereignty, you have 2 John, right, and then 3 John, and he talks about in 2 John this difference between truth and deception. He sets out this, this standard of we need to have hard conversations about what is true and what is not and make defining lines all based in relationship, but he talks about that in 2 John. And then he jumps into 3 John and he says, okay, but what does that mean now? Now that you know where those lines are, and he talks a lot about Jesus and Jesus' need for dying on the cross and Jesus' need to save humanity and, and him raising from the dead and this piece of reconciliation between him and God, he says these are the defining lines, this is the truth. And then in 3 John, he jumps in and he's going to show us, he says, but what does that mean? What does it mean? So let's open our Bibles to 3 John this morning. We're going to read the whole book. Don't worry, it's only 15 verses. 3 John, starting verse 1, here we go. The elder to my dear friend Gaius, whom I love in the truth. Just stop there. See, John says, my, whom I love, my dear friend, but there's this peace, but it's rooted in the truth. It's rooted in who God says I am and who God says you are and what relationships should be based on. He starts his whole book starting from that position of my dear friend, one that I love, but that's rooted in who God is. And he, verse 2. Dear friend, I pray that you are prospering in every way and are in good health just as your whole life is going well. For I was glad when fellow believers came and testified to your fidelity to the truth, how you are walking in truth. I have no greater joy than this to hear that my children are walking in truth. Verse 5 Dear friend, you are acting faithfully in whatever you do for the brothers and sisters, especially when, you are stra- when they are strangers. They have testified to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God, since they set out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from pagans. Therefore, we ought to support such people. <coughs> Excuse me, uh, to support such people so that we can be co workers with the truth. I wrote something to the church, but some guy's name that I cannot pronounce, so I won't try. Who loves to have first place among them does not receive our authority. This is why if I come, I will remind him of the works he is doing, slandering us with malicious words. And he is not satisfied with that. He not only refuses to welcome fellow believers, but he even stops those who want to do so and expels them from the church. Verse 11, dear friends, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. The one who does good is of God. The one who does evil has not seen God. Everyone speaks well of Demetrius. I got that one. Even the truth itself, and we also speak well of him, and you know that our testimony is true. Verse 13, I have many things to write to you, but I don't want to write to you with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon, and we will talk face to face. Peace to you. The friends send your greetings. Greet the friends by name. Just going to jump to the, really, the very end there. If our culture could understand those last three words in the place that we live, I think that we would see transformation not only in the church, but in culture and in the world. 
Let me explain why. It says, I have many things to write to you, but I don't want to write to you with pen and ink. I want to see you face to face. God's intent for us is deep, intimate relationship, and we've given it over to phones and computers. His intent isn't for us to connect in this way that is impersonal. His intent is to connect face to face. See, John is writing and he has some correction stuff and he has some things he needs to say, but he says, you know what? I hate that I have to do it this way. I wish I could be with you. I wish I could be close with you. Could you imagine if the church, if people who knew God, who knew what real relationship was supposed to look like, started to live lives where we chose to not put everything that we thought people needed to know and everything we needed, they, they, they thought they needed to change and every conviction we thought we had on some kind of platform that isn't face-to-face and actually decided to get into relationship with people and speak truth from that place? Can you imagine what would happen? We have a world that is striving for relationship, for depth of relationship, and we're not getting into their spaces, are we? We're not getting into their lives. We're not being with them. There's so much truth in those last three words, these closing statements that John has, I think is actually deeply impacting for us and should be, shouldn't it? Let's get in people's lives. That actually has very little to do with what I'm talking about this morning. I just threw it in there because, you know. What John starts with, though, is he starts with the statement of walk in truth. What does it mean to walk in truth? See, Second John talks a little about the truth. Here is what the truth says. It's this and it's not this. It is Christ and nothing else. It is that he had to die for our sins so that we could have relationship with the Lord and any other path is not to God. That's what 2 John talks about. And then 3 John goes into this statement where he says it over and over, but I hear that you are walking in truth. Not walking in the truth. I read this thing this week and I thought, really, is there that much difference between saying walking in the truth and walking in truth? And Spurgeon says it like this. Spurgeon is this theologian, great wisdom. He says this. He says, what is, to, what is it to walk in truth? It is not walking in the truth or else someone would suppose it meant that John was overjoyed because they were sound in doctrine and cared little for anything else. His joyous survey did include their, ox, their off, <laughs> orthodoxy, took me a second, orthodoxy in creed, but it reached far beyond. What is Spurgeon saying? He's saying, John is not talking about, do I have my doctrine right? Do I know what column things go in? This is right, this is wrong. This is right, this is wrong. We know exactly what we think about the Holy Spirit. We know exactly what we think about Jesus. We know exactly what we think about God. We know exactly about that we are supposed to do this type of music and not this type of music. We know that we're okay with this version of the Bible and not this version of the Bible. We know that, you know, fill in the blank. We have all of our theology in a line. We know exactly what it is. Second John talks about that. 
He puts that in context, that yes, your theology, your orthodoxy, which is this idea of the theology, what do we believe about God and who he is, all of those things fit into a box, into a line. Yes, that is important, but what John is saying, and as you see, he lays it out in 3 John, what is he saying? He's saying, but are you walking in it? See, there's something very different than knowing it and being able to sit around a table and have an argument about it than actually walking in it. Is it internal? Is it something that you've allowed to transform every part of your being? That's what he's talking about here. It's this piece of, does what you say you believe, the truth that you say it falls into the truth, is it what someone would see if they watched your life day to day? Have you internalized it? See, because the truth is a full truth. Is my mic going in and out? Give me a second. Intermission. Thank you. Great. Are you good? Am I too loud? Figured it out? Give him a second to make sure I'm not yelling at you. We're good? Great. Okay. Rewind. The truth. Did you catch all of what I got so far or do I need to go back? Because I could start over. (laughs) I'm just kidding. Okay. So what does it mean to walk in truth and not just know the truth? There's a difference, right? Kids pick up on this, don't they? You know, being a parent, there's nothing like being a parent than actually telling you whether or not you're walking out what you say you believe. Anyone else with me? You know, how many times your kids look at you and they're like, but God, but mom, I thought we weren't supposed to say bad things about people. <laughs> yeah, you're right. I'm sorry about that. Hey, hey mom, I, th- I, th- I thought we like, weren't supposed to watch shows like that. Like, I'm not allowed to. Hey, mom, I, I thought that, you know, I thought we weren't supposed to lie. But you just told them you couldn't come because, you know, you had another meeting and you're just sitting in your pajamas. <laughs> Anyone else done that? Because I have. Um, I'm like, I have a meeting with me and this, bo- this bowl of popcorn. No one needs to know what type of meeting I have. Everyone's going to wonder now when you invite me to something and I say, hey, I'm sorry, I have another commitment. They're like, do you really? Is your commitment with your coach or is it actually a real commitment? Those are vital commitments, guys. Vital commitments in my life. Anyways, but no, you know, there's nothing like this, like having kids around to actually like bring these things to light. Because they just look and they take it so honestly. But often, like, do we look at that? Do we say, hey, my life is walking in truth. What I say I believe lines up to how someone would see me. And that includes when the door is closed and no, or the door is, yeah, the door is closed and no one else sees. If I say I'm a person of integrity, am I when everyone's watching or am I when no one's watching? There needs to be this alignment because your theology and knowing the truth means absolutely nothing. And I would actually propose to say that it does more damage than good than if you're not, if you're not walking it out. 
Because if you proclaim one thing about God, because God is good, he is so good, and he loves humanity, what does it say? It says, for God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son into the world to save the world, and not what? Condemn the world. See, Christ wasn't come here to condemn people, so the church shouldn't either, but often we take our theology and we condemn people with it, and he says, no, 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 there is absolute truth. I am the only way. I am the only way to get to God. You needed me. You still need me. But that is because God wants relationship with us, not because he wants to condemn us. See, here comes the problem when we only have part truth. So one, the first thing is if our life does not line up with what we say. But the second problem is, is when we only have half theologies and we're living out half theologies. What do I mean by that? I mean that people tend to see God and pick up on parts of who he is. So they might pick up on part that, hey, I am a sinner, I am a worm, I mean nothing, I cannot save myself, there's nothing I can do that is going to be good enough because God's greatness is so much greater than I am, and I just can't ever do that, and, and so who am I to be worthy of God? And all of those statements, if you didn't know, are actually true, right? Like, we can never be as good as God. Our goodness is so small compared to a God that created the universe. All you have to do is look at a flower and know that. That is true. It's true statements that we are in need of a savior. That we, as we make mistakes and as we sin throughout our lives and as humanity sins, we have caused a division between God and ourselves. That's a true statement. We need Jesus to fill that gap to die for our salvation so that we can be back in relationship with God, that is a true statement. But if you only live in that truth, you live from a position of defeat. See, the opposite side of that theology is this. It's, I am a child of God. I am loved by God. God has a plan for me. He thinks I'm wonderful. He counts all the hairs on my head. He knows me. He wants me to have joy and peace in my life. That sounds nicer, doesn't it? And all of the statements I just made are also true. It's all things that scripture says. He says that you are a child of God that is loved by him. That he has the purposes and plans for your life. That God intends you to have joy and peace and life in abundance. Those are all things that we see in scripture. God states that. But you live there and you forget that you only get that by grace. You know what you become? You become arrogant. You become prideful. And you're going around, go around thinking that somehow you are better than everyone else around you and that causes a whole lot of damage. Or you become, you know what? God's grace is going to cover it anyway, so I'm going to do whatever I want. See, what, what John is talking about, he's saying walking in truth means I'm walking in the fullness of truth. I hold both equally important. I know my position before God, but I know that by his grace, he has loved me anyway. Amen? I know that there is nothing I can do to earn his love, to earn my salvation that's ever going to be good enough. But guess what? God accepted me and chose to give me a life with purpose and plan, give his joy and his peace to live in me anyway. Amen? 
See, full theology, I don't know who clapped, but thank you, because that is good. Full theology is understanding both positions and holding them both equally and walking that out. Because now all of a sudden we get to walk around every day not thinking I need to earn something from the Lord. We understand the grace, but we also have the humility of understanding that that grace came with a cost, right? That grace came with a weight to it. We need to have reverence before God and know that there is a cost for us to have the things that we have, the joy and the peace, to have a purpose and a plan, to have his full love. But we also need to remember that we are sons and daughters of a king who chose us. We don't have pride and authority in in ourselves. We have authority in the Lord. Amen? Because of who he is, we can do great things, not because of who we are. And then we see John, he talks about these differences. He talks about his friend Gaius, and he says, I am so thankful for you, Gaius. I'm so thankful that you um, are loving on people, that you have this position where you're just loving people well, that you're walking in truth. You understand both positions. You understand what I talked about in 2 John, that there comes a need to draw a line and say, no, you can't teach false doctrine here. We have standards here but in a way of humility that comes before God and says that there are your standards and we love and we want reconciliation. You even see that in this passage when he talks about the guy's name that I can't pronounce. He talks about that guy. He says, you know what? He's doing these things. He's forgetting the purpose and the plan. He's forgetting what it's about. He He doesn't get it. He thinks it's about him. He's not letting, what it says there, it says he's not letting others come in. He's actually saying, you know what, he doesn't understand my authority. There is a need for us as believers, as Christians who know God to come under authority because you know what happens if you don't? You think you're always right. And that even includes James and I. We have people above us that we've allowed to have that authority to say, tell us when we're wrong. We need that. There's this piece of of when we we come under authority, we allow for what scripture says, iron sharpening iron. We allow each other to to create a better version of what God wants us to be. It's important. Pastor James talked about it last week of having those people in your life that you allow to speak truth, that you allow to come in and talk about those things with you. There is a difficult part that this guy forgot He thought it was about him. I think sometimes we can even do this in the church, can't we? I think at different parts in my my life, I don't think. I know at different parts in my life that I also had it wrong. There's moments where I thought that whatever God, the ministry God put in my life, the place, the position, all of those things, that it was me. That I was the important one in the equation. That I needed to be there in order for God to do anything. Anyone else with me? You don't have to put your hand up. But sometimes, right, you think that it's me, that I'm the important one in the equation instead of, no, actually, it's, it's, it's God that's the important one in the equation. 
that God gives us gifts, whether or not it's financial, it's time, or it's your talents. He gives us gifts, and we get to steward those gifts. And sometimes we, we forget that they aren't ours in and of ourselves. They are ours because God has given them to us. He says, here, you can have these things, and I'm asking you to steward them well. He allows us to take them and do something with them, but they're not ours. We need to remember that God is the one who actually has given them to us and our job is to just decide what he's asking us to do with them. And this guy forgot. He actually said, you know what? I don't want anyone else coming in. I'm not accepting other believers. I'm not accepting all of that. Why? Because two things. One, he had a position of pride and fear. He decided that I think I know better than anyone else, so I'm not letting anyone else bring any other kind of teaching. I'm not letting anyone else say anything else in here. And the second thing is, I think he was afraid. I think he was afraid of losing his position. He was afraid maybe they'll think someone else is better than me. Maybe someone else will think that they're a better, that they're a better preacher than I was and they won't want me back. Maybe they'll think they're a better musician than I was and they won't want me back. Maybe they'll think that I was a better teacher and they won't want me back. Maybe they're going to think I'm better at my job and they won't want me back. Fill in the blank. We get these, these pieces that come in of fear and where we, we function from a place of fear. And when you function from that place, you actually you lose your connection to what God is telling you to do. Why? Because you think it's about you and not about him. And as soon as you become the center of the equation, you've lost every battle in your life. Why? Because now your whole life becomes about what are other people going to think about me? What are other people going to care about me? What are other people? Life is very freeing when the only one you have to please is God. Amen? Because guess what God says? He says, the only thing I actually want from you is your time and your heart. All he's saying is, all I want actually is I just want you to spend time with me. And I want you to want to know me. And then everything else will flow from that. See, Gaius and Demetrius they got it right. They understood. They understood that actually it was the mission was bigger than them. That what God was doing was bigger than them. Gaius in verse 7, I just want to read it really quickly again, and I'm going to tell you what it means. Since they set out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from pagans, therefore we ought to support such people so that we can be co-workers with the truth. See, there's this this individualistic piece that, that walking in truth meant. And that is where you see the guy's name, I can't say, he was doing it wrong. And then um, Demetrius was doing it right. You know, he was saying, okay, we're okay, we love people, we want people in there. And then Gaius, this piece is what corporately, what was he doing? See, corporately there was this practice of sending out. They actually sent out people to go and spread the gospel, right? Jesus had just come. Like this is very shortly after he had died on the cross. The message of who he was was not out yet. It was something that people were hearing about. There was rumors at the time. If you actually go back and you read historical documents that are not the Bible, it's very interesting that all of the prominent people had heard about this guy that had been raised from the dead. And there's all these rumors going on. Historically speaking, Jesus being a man and what happened to him is not actually in debate. The only thing that's in debate 
is, well, I guess, a little bit of what happened to him. The only thing that's in debate is, did someone steal the body, or was he actually raised from the dead? Historically speaking, who he was was never actually in debate. And so there's all of this unsettling going on, and so they're sending people out to go and share the gospel in different places. These people are going out, and they're sharing the gospel. Right? They're sharing about who Jesus was and what he did on the cross. That's what they're doing. They're going out and they're sharing this. Well, other religions at the time were doing the exact same thing. And this was the difference that actually John was pointing out here. And this is corporately, I think, where our heart needs to be. John was pointing out here. He was saying, you know what? These other religions are sending people out and they're taking money from the pagans. What does that mean? It means that they thought they had a good message to give. They thought they had good religion to give. But they would say, you need to pay me before I'll tell you. That's what he's saying. That was the practice. They would actually go out and they would say, okay, I'm not telling you any kind of good news until you give me money. And there was Christians at the time that were trying to do the same thing. They were going out and they're saying, I have the good news. It's good news of salvation. But guess what? I'm not going to tell you how you get it until you pay me $24.99. Right? I'm not going to tell you about the wisdom that God has given me until you pay me X, Y, Z. We don't do that at all, do we? The Christian church doesn't do that at all. We don't monetize the wisdom that God is giving, do we? See, they were doing this practice, and John was actually saying, he was saying, Gaius, you know what? Uh, I'm so thankful that as a church, you're not doing that. I'm so thankful that you actually, before you send someone out to go and share the gospel because you're doing okay where you're at, you're actually giving them all the money they need for their food and their shelter and all those things, so they can go share the gospel, and it's going to be free to people. That's what they're talking about. That's what John was saying. He's saying, corporately, do you see your own mini kingdom at New Life Church, or do you see the kingdom of heaven? Amen? And my deepest prayer, my deepest prayer, is that even if it means that we have to meet in a field with all of our snowsuits on, that we would put the kingdom of heaven before the kingdom of New Life Church. Amen? That we would have a heart posture that says, I want people to know Jesus. I want people to know how they can have a relationship with a living God who has purpose and plan for their life. Not one that they can earn. Not one that they deserved. One that's only given through grace. But I want them to know that so much more that I'm willing to go without. That's what John was celebrating them for. He was saying, I'm so thankful that you are walking in truth. That you get it. That your comfort, when you truly know, truly know God and his love and his grace and his peace and his joy in your life, all of these things that he has given to you, when you truly have spent enough time in his presence that you get that, somehow all the things that the earth says matter just matter a heck of a lot less, don't they? That's what John was saying. He was saying... Are you trying to build your own kingdom?
Corporately, as a church, and individually, I would say for our culture, individually, do you care more that you have new furniture and a new car and a new house and all of these things than people actually knowing the gospel? Where's your heart posture at? Are you walking in truth? Because if you actually believe the whole truth, you're actually willing to say, God, I'm willing to give up whatever you want. Because I know I'm going to have a mansion in eternity one day. Amen? So it doesn't really matter if I have a mansion here. Because eternity is a heck of a lot longer than the 90-something years I'm going to be living on earth. Again, don't get me wrong. I'm not telling you that you need to go sell everything and give it to the Lord. That's not my heart. But it's a heart posture that says, God, if you ask me to, I will. It's a heart posture that says, I know, God, I know that your truth, the fullness of it, needs to impact my day-to-day. It needs to be something that drives me, something that guides me, something that I internalize, not just something I put on my wall. Because scripture verses on your wall mean nothing if they're not in your life when you're on the street. I'm going to call the worship team up. See, the challenge in John is that we would walk out the fullness of truth in our lives, not part truths, not half truths, but the fullness of truth in our lives. Why? Because God loves people. Amen? God gave a way for people to know him, to understand him, to be in relationship with him. And I don't know about you, but I want people to know that too. And God says, you know what, I put you there. I could do it on my own, but I've actually put you there to be a reflection of who I am to those that are around you. God wants us to be a reflection of his goodness in the people around us. He wants to be a reflection, us to be a reflection of the fullness of his truth to those that we come in contact with. And he wants us to have his mission at the center I'm just gonna pray for you this morning and I just encourage you as we go and we get to celebrate baptisms with these young people who have chosen to proclaim that they wanna walk in truth for the rest of their life. Can we just say, cause let's just round of applause for that in and of itself. Like, we baptized another one on Tuesday. I won't make him stand up cause he doesn't wanna be um, seen. Um, but. We baptized another one this last week that was a teenager. I'm just so blessed that young people are like, you know what? I know who God is and I actually want to follow him because I know how he is good. That is a blessing as a church that we get to be a part of that journey in people's lives. It's a blessing that we actually get to be God's hands and feet. Let's make sure that, yes, we have good theology, that we know exactly where we land on topics that God makes clear in his word. We don't get to, we don't get to compromise on those, but let's make sure we don't just do that, that we actually are willing to walk it out. Because God says, I forgive your sins, and I'm going to give you a purpose and a plan. And all I'm asking from you is that you forgive others. get to know me a little. Let me pray for you, church. God, I just thank you that you are so good. God, that you do love us, that you do have a plan for us, that you do have abundant joy and peace for our lives. 
God, I also am so thankful that it's not something I have to earn. God, I'm so thankful that it is a choice to just say, I accept it and I want to know you. God, I pray as a church that we would be a church that would internalize your truth, that our life, that walk, that we walk out day to day would line up with what we say we believe. And God, when we screw up, that we would be humble enough to say, hey, that was wrong. We make mistakes, that we would be humble enough to just own them and know that your grace covers those too. God, I thank you that you are gracious, God, that all you really want is a heart of humility before you. God, I pray corporately as a church that we would constantly be looking at your kingdom and what you have and not our own. God, that we'd be looking beyond, beyond our own wants, our own desires, that we'd be looking to where you are, where you're moving, and how we can be in step with you. God, I just pray that your presence, your Holy Spirit will be present in everyone's life this week, that they would know the closeness of you. In your name, amen.